Today on the show, we're talking about what you need for retirement. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, joined with Trevor. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. And we're talking about how much you need for retirement. Today's episode is based on an article by Ian McGuggan from the Globe and Mail entitled, Figure What You'll Need to Save for Retirement in Five Simple Steps. So Trevor, this article is really relevant to you because you're retiring in the next four years. So uh, what relevance do you take away from this article? Well, I, I, the, it, the headline caught my eye because just of what you said, I am retiring. Um, and I read through the five things and I, I agree with some of them and some of them I don't. You know, some of them are, are pretty dialed into my philosophy and some of them are, are maybe just the opposite of what I think. So I'm anxious to go over them. I, I think this is a really good article. A lot of good takeaways for our listeners. Yeah, oh, for sure. I'll go through all five things that Ian has laid out. So number one is start by figuring out how much of your working income you're going to need to replace in retirement. Number two is consider how much you can expect to receive from government programs, such as the Canadian Pension Plan and Old Age Security. Number three is do the math. Number four is your workplace pension may cover most of this gap. And number five is stuff happens. So let's go through number one. Number one is start out by figuring how much of your working income you're going to need to replace in retirement. So what are your thoughts on this? So I, I disagree with this one. I, I really think that you you should focus not on how much income you need, but how much your expenses are going to be in retirement. And I say that in that your expenses during your working life versus your retirement life are going to be dramatically different for some people and slightly different for others, but they will not be the same. For me, for instance, me and my wife, we each have a car. In retirement, we're only going to have one car. Uh, some people have to wear, you know, fancy clothes to work. I mean, there's a cost that's going to go away. Some people have long, long commutes. There's uh, a savings in, in wear and tearing your car and fuel. So it's, and a lot, another thing people do is, you know, vacations can be expensive. And so when you're working, you'll go on vacations and you'll try to, you know, you get a two week vacation. You want to do as much as you can. And you got to throw a lot of money at that to get, to fit it all in sometimes, you know, uh, you know, red eye flights and all, all the, uh, and you're, you tend to be going in prime time. Like, so you're going, uh, March break or whenever uh, a lot of people are going, whereas if you're retired, you can go sort of an off season, off peak times to these vacation spots. And, uh, you can do a, a, what's called the slow vacation where you, you, um, you rent a place for a month rather than a hotel for a week. So there's there's all sorts of ways that your your expenses in retirement are going to be different than than when you're working. And some people say, well, you know, whatever I'm saving by by not working, I'm just going to spend on travel. Well, I say sit down and, and itemize. You know, get a uh, a quote on a trip, places you want to go, and and list those expenses. You know, break it down, and it's effort. You know, it's easy to just say, oh, I'm going to need 70% of my in pre-retirement income when I'm retired. But if you take the time to break down your expenses and say, this is how much it's going to cost me when I'm retired, you know, it, it, it's effort, but it, it's time well spent and you're going to learn things you didn't know. I love that logic because it's, if you think about it, 
your work life and your retirement life are so different. I mean, most people well, spend I, I five days. Well, I hope they are. Yeah. You know, you hope there's zero similarities. At least I do. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you spend five days a week, uh, eight hours a day, usually most people um, working. So that you have a lot, you have a lot more time. And I want to talk about the idea of having more time because I think it's easy to get caught up in the, what society says you should do in your retirement with your time, travel, um, go to see live theaters, do things that inevitably involve spending money and day trips even. And I think, I think this is important to touch on in that you don't have to live a retirement life that society says you should live because that can come with a price tag, just like your normal life pre-retirement that you're not okay with. Well, and I agree with that. You know, we're, we're seeking financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. And a lot of stuff we talk about on this podcast are going against the grain of mainstream society. You know, that to me, that's, that's the low hanging fruit, you know, going against the norm, just like you said, that that's where the opportunities exist. Oh, for sure. And I think that might give our listeners a little bit more comfort when, when maybe they're thinking about retirement and they think, retirement is synonymous with spending money because generally everything depicts retirement as this money spending time of their lives and and maybe our listeners do have that anxiety around well I'm going to need more money than um I'm I think I'll need because I'll be doing so much more than I am doing now well you know one thing to consider is I know as I get older I have less energy and I tend to to, to want to be, you know, to do less or do things for shorter blocks of time. So if you're, if you're, you know, 40 years old and you're, you know, dreaming of all these things you're going to do when you retire, don't forget when you're retired, your energy level is going to diminish quite a bit. And your, your desire to go do something every single day is not going to be there. You're going to, you're going to need breaks in between. So I don't think you'll be as busy as you think you're going to be. Oh, I agree with that. And I love the idea of looking at, we always say you can control your expenses more than you can control your income at times usually. So I do like that we are putting the power back into ourselves and not being a victim of our income. So we can control our expenses and, and really start, like we always say, ramping down our lifestyle so that we, we have enough income to cover our expenses in retirement. Well, in, if you think to that point, ramping down your lifestyle, you know, if you list all your expenses that you're going to have in your retirement, and if the numbers don't work out and you can't retire till say you're 75, well, knowing how much money you're planning to spend, once you have that all itemized, you might be willing to say, you know what, to retire 10 years sooner, I could go without, you know, a new car every other year, or I could... I, I could be happy with a, a international vacation every five years or every three years. You know, you you by by looking at your expenses, you can you're in a position to make decisions about you know what's stopping you from retiring or or or, or you know the adjustments you'd need to make so you can retire. And nothing at all wrong with anyone who does want to retire later. I mean, like we always say, if there are listeners out there who do want to retire at age seventy five because they love their job that much. We are very jealous of that because that's incredible. And it's, it's, I would like to say it's rare to find a job that you love that much, but I know there are individuals who do love their job that much. So I think it really depends on your priorities. I mean, if, if working will fulfill you and make you happy, 
that's awesome. So I think it's very individualistic. Well, those people you're describing, I, I don't think you would call what they do is work. I mean, and that is, I mean, if, if they're enjoying what they're doing, I, I'm calling that a hobby or a play, you know, and I know people that, that, that exists. And I mean, sure, there's peaks and valleys of stress and in, in every job, but there's people that are, are so dialed into what they're doing that the, the thought of retiring is almost a punishment. So I, let's move on to number two. And number two is consider how much you can expect to receive from government programs such as CPP and OAS. And OAS is old age security. Yeah, so I know a lot of people that they they look at CPP and OAS as just a, a bonus. You know, they don't work it into the calculations. But I'm saying you need to consider this for a couple of reasons. One is, it's a guaranteed stream of income. You know, market conditions aside, you can always count on these streams of income to be there. So if you have investments and the stock market, you know, tanks for a few years, you know, this is going to remain constant or be adjusted for inflation. And a lot of people say, well, what if it's not there when I retire? Well, there's a politician worth their salt that is going to, you know, gain the unpopular vote of, of doing away with these programs, I mean, this would be political suicide to, to do away with either of these. In fact, the conservative government, they uh, recently pushed old age security out to 67, and the liberal government, uh, as part of their campaign platform, were bringing it back to age 65, and they got in office. I'm not saying that's why, but I'm sure it was a contributor. Clearly, the people want you know, this, these, these benefits. And they've actually recently beefed up the CPP. So it's going to bring more to, to people in the future. I, I'm going to be too old for that, but uh, your generation is definitely going to benefit. And another thing is, I I think you need to look at all government programs. Recently, the government just, Ontario government just uh, made uh, prescription drugs free for anyone under the age of 25 in Ontario. And I got to think in the not too distant future, they're going to also include uh, everyone over 65, you know, seniors in that because a healthcare system where doctors are writing prescriptions for patients who can't afford to get them filled is a broken healthcare system. So I I think we're going to see seniors with uh, government paid prescription uh, drugs in the very near future. So you, you can't underestimate government programs available for seniors. I mean, that, that's CPP, OAS, and anything else. I mean, I think there's you shouldn't disregard it at all in any of your calculations. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think the I'm really excited because I will fall into the category of the um, free prescription health care um, just until age 25. And I think that would be super beneficial for that age, their retirement age range as well. And because, I mean, that does soak up a lot of, of expense right there. So I, I agree. Think programs like that definitely aren't going to fade away because they are so popular. And everyone retires too. So that one is very, it, it, it just works for everyone and everyone does benefit. So let's move on to number three. And number three is do the math. This one sounds simple, but I feel like just as like every other personal finance idea this one is probably overlooked well i i agree you need to you need to sit down with a 
a pencil and paper or a spreadsheet and, and, and do some calculations. But this, this again is working from the income side of the equation. And you do need to know your income, but I think you need to start with your expenses and, and, and work out what, what you really need and, and back into your income and then see if that math works and see if, you know, based on these expenses, you know, when can I retire? When will I have accumulated enough money to retire? And I think that is more insightful than figuring out, you know, I need this income now, so I'll need this income in the future. There's way too many assumptions built into that, that mentality. Your logic of starting with the expenses first makes so much sense. Why is, I mean, this article is incredible, but why aren't, why is that not the common way to think about things? Expenses first, then income. Well, if you think of anybody, everyone talks about income. Income is is flashy and is exciting. Expenses are, are a burden, but expenses are the thing you can control the most. Income, I mean, if you're retired and, and you're, main source of your income is, is through, you know, investments you've got, you're at the mercy of the market. So you, you, you only have so much control over them moving your money to, you know, safe first risky investments, but your, your ink, your expenses are completely in your control. You know, you can, you can design a life however you see fit that requires whatever expenses you think are necessary. And, you know, if, if, cable TV doesn't fit into your lifestyle, then you, you can cancel that, right? If, if a new cell phone every year doesn't fit into your lifestyle, you can decide not to do that. But if we hit a bear market and, and investments tank, what can you do? You know, you're, you're at the mercy of the market, right? You, you can, you can shift investments around, but a lot of times, I mean, you're, that that's riskier than just staying in the investment and waiting for the market to turn. So it's, I, I've had far more success managing my expenses than I have my income over the course of my working career. And I love this concept so much. It's basic, but it can be applied to everyone and anyone. I mean, it, it kind of changes the way you look at personal finance. It changes the way you look at your income because if you, if you accept your, we talked about minimum wage last week. If we, if you look at it, I'm mean, going to sidetracked here, but if you look at your minimum wage income and you're, and you, you say, oh, this is not enough. It, it's not enough for what? Your expenses. So, and then that's where you have to look at your expenses. See if you can, if you're renting, see if you can rent in a small uh, downsize and rent somewhere cheaper. See if you can, what you, are you spending too much on groceries? See what you can cut out there um, shops like shop savvy, shop smart. And, and you're right, Trevor, there's so many ways you can attack. It it gives you the power. It gives you so much more power because a lot of unhappiness I think is rooted in, oh, I don't have enough income, but really you get so much power back if you're like, oh, my, I can cut on expenses and, and then do, and then, and then all of a sudden you are living within your means and accept, accepting the lifestyle your income delivers. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. It, you know, your your thing. I I don't have. I need more income. Why not? I need less expense. Yeah. If you if you just people are so unwilling to ramp down lifestyle, and it's it's probably m- more driven out of I'll say a lot of people personal pride 
than it is logic or common sense. So you do you say that you are going to be ramping down your lifestyle and retirement. Are you sticking to this? And also, I feel like it's easy to say, but also harder to implement too. Just across the board with um, with all our listeners, maybe they that is an idea that they've worked so they've worked their whole life earning money, and now quote unquote they deserve to live a, a nice, like, lavish retirement period. Well. I'm going to downsize my house. So there's there's a lifestyle ramp down, right? A smaller house. And, that, and that's less. not, that's not, you're not really taking a big hit there. No, but it's still, it, it is ramping down. It, it will qualify in ramping down lifestyle. I'm going to have less square footage. I'm going to live in a smaller home. So to me, that's ramping down. Uh, I'm going to go down to one car from two. That's ramping down. Um, but none of these things are going to inhibit my ability to enjoy life. None of those things. In fact, ramp, moving to a smaller house means I have less house to clean, less house to maintain. To me, that, that's, me personally, that is increasing my, enjoy, my ability to enjoy life. Uh, only worrying, having to worry about the maintenance on one car. Only having to wash and wax one car. That is going to increase the enjoyment of my life. I like your examples because I think there's this little ball of mystery around what the definition of ramping down is in that ramping down is lesser it, it quality. Sounds, or, it sounds negative, right? Yeah, it, it sounds does. negative. It, does. it sounds like you're going from a nice home to a not nice home. You know, but what, maybe we should call it right-sizing your life. Yeah. Given your, given your circumstances now, right? A lot of people, they keep living in the same, you know, four-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot home that they raised their family in because... They've always lived in it and they keep driving two cars because they've always had two cars. You know, sometimes habits, maybe it's habit forming. You need to break those habits and really stand back and say, what am I getting out of this, you know, house with rooms I never go in? And, you know, what value am I getting from having two cars? You know, is it really that much of an inconvenience to have one? So, and I, I keep going to houses and cars because those are the two things that'll make or break you financially for the most part. I really like the term right-sizing. That definitely has a much more positive connotation to it. And and I think I think it's important. I know we're veering so far away from this article, but I do think it's important to right-size at every stage in your life and right-size frequently because, I mean, something as simple as a phone plan. I'm on a pay-as-you-go phone plan, so that means I the phone is bought right straight out and then I have a plan attached to it, a monthly plan attached. So a month to month, I will eva- I'll look at how much data I used, how many phone minutes I used, um, how many text messages I sent. And then I will right size my phone plan every single month to accommodate my usage because depending where I'm living, if I'm back home with my parents, if I'm here um, in, in the city, it de- wherever I'm living, it, it, de- it depends how I use my phone. So I think there's an opportunity to right size it every minute. So I'll downsize my phone plan one month and then bring it back up the next. And that's something that I like at the pay-as-you-go or prepaid phone plans is because they allow you to right-size. So in general, I think it's important to surround yourself with opportunities that allow for frequent right-sizing. Rent, renting an apartment is actually a good idea too because pretend you lost your job or got a new job with a lower income. It would allow you to right-size your life um, more quicker than if you had a home, which is a little bit more permanent and um, less uh, less liquid. No, I would agree with that. And I, I think there, there's so much low-hanging fruit to ramping down or right-sizing a lifestyle. Your, your point with the cell phones, 
when I, right now, me and my wife each have a cell phone. When we're retired, I can assure you, we don't each need a cell phone. You know, the, the chances of us, like right now we're, you know, we're at work and we need to communicate with each other, our kids and whatnot. And, and so it makes sense. But when we're retired, I don't think I'm going to be anywhere that, that I need to be contacted that urgently, you know, with the, the, between the two of us, if one of us had the phone, I think that would be ample. So there, there's so many opportunities to ramp down your lifestyle. And the other thing is when you're retired, you have time, lots of time. So you can, you know, you can cook uh, home, homemade meals. So, you know, you won't be, you know, buying convenience foods anymore. You'll be buying whole foods, which are cheaper and, and, and maybe, you know, cooking, you know, better meals or less expensive meals. So there's, there's so many opportunities. And, and when people are retiring, they just, if you don't look at the expenses, you just, you, you discount all those opportunities, all those opportunities to, to, you know, where you're not going to spend money that, that you're currently spending. And I, I know you always say that your house and your car are the two biggest expenses that will make and break you. But I, I'm definitely a firm believer that you need to keep track of all the little expenses and keep an eye on those because all the little expenses do compound to a big expense. And if you can manage the little expenses um, month by month, I really do think over time that will make an impact as well. So just conscious consumption um, and conscious expenses in that department. I agree with that. But if you are, if, if you've made the mental adjustment to, you know, buy just enough house that you need and just enough car that you need, chances are you're going to carry on that philosophy in the all other aspects of your life. So if you can make the adjustment to the car and the house, I'm, I'm always going with the assumption that the rest of the stuff, it, it just becomes second nature. Oh, for sure. Yes. Because when you're in a good space, you're, you're definitely going to carry that out throughout your whole life and whatever you spend money on. Like there's this thing called the Ditero effect where, you know, if you bought a, I don't know, a new dress, you'd have to buy a new purse because your old purse wouldn't look good with your new dress. You know, is, is an example. If you got a, a new kitchen, you'd have to, you know, buy a new dining set because your, your old one would look horrible in that new kitchen. So if you, if, if you don't get carried away in, in what you, how the home you buy and the cars you drive, chances are, you know, all the accelerated things in your life will, will not be affected. I, that's a great, that's a great uh, concept. And I love that. And it definitely works with uh, retirement and, and how you view that. Let's move on to number four. And number four is your workplace pension may cover most of the gap. Well, we all know that workplace pensions are just, you know, they're, they're almost extinct. I mean, unless you're in the public sector, uh, a defined benefit pension plan that sort of pays you till you die, they rarely exist anymore. And in a way, it's kind of a good thing because, uh, you know, companies don't stay in business like a smaller companies uh, like they used to, I'll say. You know, you see where I work, uh, I've seen companies, go, a few companies go out of business over the course of 20 years and I don't know that they had to find benefit pension plans, but if they did, those are gone with it. So, and so pension plans, I, I, I think are, are becoming less and less of a thing you can count on. And as we've mentioned before, uh, can the, the CPP Canada pension plans being beefed up partly because of this. So I, so I, I'm going to say, I mean, there's a lot of people employed in the public sector who have pensions. So they, I mean, there would a lot, there would be a lot of people who 
who have access to that. But I think I remember reading a stat that in Ontario, I, I think it was like 60% of the people don't have pensions. So that's a big number. So it's, so I'm going to say for a lot of people, that one's meaningless. That is, that is, I'm surprised with that number. And I'm also, I'm also curious to see what the retirement what the landscape will be like when my generation goes to retire and, and, and what's going to, how it's going to really look different than it does now, just ex- especially with the job landscape where contract and part-time jobs are really, uh, really the majority of the, in the work environment right now. Well, the old CPP plan was designed to replace one quarter of your retirement income. The new CPP is designed to replace one third of your retirement income. Now, if you're the least bit frugal in your retirement, I'm going to say the new CPP would easily cover 50% instead of a third. So, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cover a third of the average retirement income in Canada. That's, that's the plan. That's sort of the design of it. So if, if you're, you know, just remotely frugal, again, with houses and cars, it's probably going to give you half of the retirement income you need. So I, I think that's a pretty good benefit. I do have a question for you, especially because retirement is something it, you, you've been planning for for so long and you, you're going into retirement completely um, free of all debt. What advice do you have for our listeners who maybe are in their 30s or even late 20s are already considering how they can prepare for retirement when it's that far away? What advice do you have and when did you start thinking about retirement seriously? I probably was in my early 30s when I really, you know, buckled down and said, you know, the, you come up with some hard numbers and and some goals and aspirations and sort of timelines when I needed to accomplish things. So I, I think you need to be thinking about it in your 30s and you need to know, you know, sort of when your mortgage will be paid off and then, you know, you start accumulating money, getting your kids through school. And, you know, the idea is... You, you, Retiring with debt is is almost I'm going to say is somewhat disastrous because you're you're obviously going to use your your retirement income to finance or service debts that 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 that's a, a bad start right there. Um, you you don't want to be in a position where you have to make tough tough choices. You know you you don't want to have to sell your house and have to rent in order to retire. Like those are tough choices. I'm not saying you know, those are choices. If you have to make it, you have to, but you want to, you want to plan far enough advance that that you're not going to have to face those, those difficult decisions. And like you always say, it's almost a positive thing to think about retirement and make those goals because it will shape all of your financial decisions moving forward because that's retirement does seem far away. I mean, even at my age, retirement seems like eons away. So I think when I seriously start thinking about retire, retirement and creating a retirement plan, I think those will, my retirement plans will be the founding, grounding principles that I, I, make, I make every decision with. Well, you know, I, I come up with two numbers. So I have my a number. So I say you focus on your expenses. So where I'm going with this is if you don't know how much you need, the answer is always going to be more. You know, the... So it's important to know how much money you need to retire. And it has to be based on your expenses. And I have two numbers. I have a number where, you know, this is this is the expenses that will keep me off the street. 
you know, I call those my, you know, roof over my head or whatever expenses, bare bones. And then I have another number where this is the expenses where I would live in a reasonable comfort. So I I have two numbers. So I I end up with a, with a, um, a a zone, right? So obviously you want to be doing better than just stay off the streets. And maybe you don't need to be at this high level of comfort. So there's this area in between. And if, if you have, if, if you know sort of the date you're going to retire and it doesn't take a lot of spreadsheet skills to figure out how much money you need to carry you through. And my spreadsheet goes to the age 90 and I, I've had relatives live into their mid nineties, but I, I've sort of stopped my calculations at 90 and I, I sort of work within that, that zone between off the street and comfortable. So it's, but, but I have a number, you know, I need a number because otherwise the answer was always going to be, I need more. And I was going to say that I like that you brought that up because I think that might be one of the questions our listeners have and definitely the questions I've always wondered about retirement in that there's this, there's this large chunk of time after you retire and the, the amount of money you need there, it's, I feel like the answer is always more. So I really like how you you create calculations in a zone where you can live comfortably between. And I, I think that's genius. Let's get on to our last last point here, number five, and that is stuff happens. So that's all the things that just happen randomly out of the blue, sometimes bad, sometimes good, but they just happen. So my theory on this is I'm not planning for stuff happens. I'm not planning for that at all because good things happen and bad things happen, but it's very rare that just all bad things happen. And I'll give you an example. So I, I, I'm in my working career, um, these fabulous lucrative pension plans didn't exist when I got jobs, but they did exist for my parents. So I was aware of them, but so, so that's a negative, right? That's a bad thing that happened in my life. So, you know, I'm trying to plan around not having a, a, a solid pension plan that'll pay me till I die. But, you know, something I didn't plan on was having the opportunity to pay off my mortgage when interest rates are, were at record lows for the last 25 years. You know, I didn't plan on that. You know, I, that wasn't in any of my calculations, but it happened. So there, there, I'm going to say, you know, one maybe offset the other. If I you'd, if I took advantage of those low interest rates, I didn't sort of buy a mansion instead of a, the house I needed. Um, that gave me an opportunity to save money that, that I would have otherwise got from a, a lucrative pension if I would have, you know, grown up in a different era. So the chances of everything going bad all at once is highly unlikely. And if you look back in history, it just doesn't tend to happen. I like that because it, it, that's how life always seems to go. The, the good and the bad at the end of the day weigh each other out and really neutralize each other. Yeah, and I I think it's it's kind of, you, you need to look at the world with an optimistic view in order to see the good things as well as, as experience the bad things. I mean, because... You can look at it in a negative view and, and, and say the world's against me and and it, it will appear that way for sure. But the chances of, of everything going wrong when you retire and the wheels falling off and you crash and burn, it, it's just, I'm not counting on that happening. You know, I'm counting on 
everything that goes bad, there's, there'll probably be some offsetting good thing. Are you giving yourself a cushion though to support any extra expenses that come your way? Well, that's where I, I gave you that zone, right? So I have my off the street expenses and then I have this comfortable retirement expenses. And so I, my, my comfort zone is I'm, I'm going to land somewhere in the middle. So I'm going to keep myself off the street, which I think is important, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but, but I'm obviously hoping for a more comfortable retirement. So I, I believe I have a bit of a, a cushion, but yeah. And so you should, but I, I'm not planning for, you know, a complete nuclear meltdown either. Definitely. And I, I think that's a very level-headed approach to it because it's so easy to escalate things and and put things out of proportion and just prepare for the worst because I, that may be some of our listeners' main anxiety about retirement is just trying to trying to have enough money because I think that's I think that's everyone's common concern is will I have enough? Well, I guess I'm not willing to work till I'm 75 to build up a an extensive contingency plan. You know, that that would be the alternative for me. So that's not something I'm prepared to do. I mean, there the people there is people that are that nervous that I know and they are gonna work, you know, into their mid mid seventies. In fact I know a guy that is. And uh whenever you talk to him, he's a he's a real pessimist about a lot of things. Well, that brings us to the end of this. Do you have any final closing thoughts on uh, today's episode for our retire in five simple steps? Yeah, I would say the, the, the biggest takeaway for me on, on this episode would be focus on your expenses, not your income when you're contemplating retirement planning. I definitely agree. So that was Figure Out What You'll Need to Save for Retirement in Five Simple Steps by Ian McGuggan from the Globe and Mail. And incredibly, incredibly insightful and inspiring. And we hope you as a listener have, have gained something from both Trevor and my commentary as well as this article, which we'll have linked in the show notes so you can go check it out. Also, if you haven't checked out Just Do It June, that will be, it's up on our website on under 2017 monthly challenges and giveaways and everything about that is there so definitely check it out and get involved if you're not partaking and just do it june and we'll also have the links for our social media with an instagram account and a facebook account so we'll have our the link to that in our show notes as well and until next week keep it simple